and welcome to Nibble Scotland Over Coffee podcast. In the days before we were social distancing, I was lucky enough to be invited to meet Gillian McEwen from Lunan Bay Farm near Abroath. You might already be following their fabulous social media posts from the kidding sheds as they breed goats. Also, I'm delighted that Billy Boiter, a head chef from the cellars in Anstruther, joined us to hear more about some of the activities on the farm and start his own creative process from farm to plate. So let me take you deep within the kidding shed, where I hear how Gillian and her husband Neil got involved in goat farming, their recent busman's holiday to New Zealand, Robert the Bruce's royal decree to keep goats in the area, and how they plan to reintroduce 100% cashmere into the market. Also, Lunan Bay Farm is one of around three farmers in Scotland harvesting asparagus, and this year we are lucky that their asparagus will be found in many farm shops and grocers around the country over the summer months. Be sure to give us a review and subscribe wherever you listen if you're enjoying the podcast so far. Follow us on the social media at Nibble Scotland for our first look at future guests and a wee behind-the-scenes look of everything mentioned in each episode. So let's get on with the chat. So, Gillian, thank you for time this morning and Billy for coming up to see us. You've been in this now for a wee while, but this is a fifth generation of farm. So what was the original roots and where did it all come from? So originally it was my husband Neil's grandfather who started it all off and he had um, beef, um, he was a beef farmer and he specialised in Aberdeen Angus and selecting beef um, to sell on. And then over the years they were doing less cattle and focusing more on arable. Um, and the, the family got into growing potatoes and um, cereals and it's only been in the last four years that Neil, my husband, decided to diversify completely into uh, products that um, were more sustainable, that slightly more niche, um, that he could then um, work alongside chefs to showcase. Uh-huh. Um, these include the goats, which you can hear in the background. <laughs> And uh, we also grow asparagus and honeyberries as well. Okay, so. okay. And the goats, I mean, coming getting a South African goat, where did, what, what was the dream that came up? Let's go for goats. Well, well <laughs> basically we were looking for to bring on a live, livestock onto the farm, um, mm-hmm. basically for environmental reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and we discovered that goats are unique because they can actually um, benefit your, your farm in terms of the environmental um, qualities that they bring. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're very unique in their digestive systems so they can clear the land and leave the land in a better condition than how they found it. Um, They can improve the soil quality and the pasture quality and no other livestock can do that. Um, So that was the main reason why we we wanted to bring on uh, such an unusual breed. (laughs) Okay and what's the size of the farm that you have here? Uh, We've got 600 acres in total. And is it a lot? Are you still doing the arable just with the honeyberries and Where? asparagus, or the, there's there's still we still grow cereals um, and no longer grow potatoes anymore. Um, we're we're growing the asparagus at the moment. We've got 20 acres, okay. and as the demand grows, we'll, we'll do more of that. Uh-huh. Um, and the honeyberries we're just starting on small scale, so we're doing several trials on them. Okay. Um, but that's our main focus: is are, are those are those particular um, ingredients. Okay. So the first year of taking in the goats, how was that? Have you sectioned off? 
I mean, we're in a current a big shed now, and and imagining them roaming over the, the the front of the fields and down by the beaches. Yeah, well, we've got some um, paddocks down at Lunan Bay, mm-hmm. so uh, there's acres of undulating coastal pastures for them to roam about. Uh-huh. So I think it was a bit of a surprise for a lot of people down there. All of a sudden, these goats popped up. <laughs> um, but we've had to invest a lot of infrastructure because. Goats do like to escape, so we've had to spend um, a lot of investment on sort of bulletproof fencing really? uh, for the goats. So that was that was a big change. They're quite um, inventive. Yeah, yeah. They'll find a way to get out if they can. So for their own safety, you know, we needed to get the proper fencing in uh-huh. and, and make sure that that, that didn't happen. <laughs> so how many did you start with? Uh, we only we started with about 50 and at the end of this kidding season, which which ends um, in a couple of months, we'll have 400. Okay. Um, so it's pretty scalable. <laughs> That's brilliant though. That's brilliant. And of course, we're just in the end of the, the kidding season now. And we've got, how many have we got in this pen? About 10? Yeah, so these are ladies in waiting. Um, So they've got sort of big round bellies on them. Uh (laughs) They're they're due to to kids um, at the end of this month. So you also, you mean you went, you went recently at a big trip. Was it New Zealand? Yeah, yeah. yeah we went to New Zealand and Australia. Yeah. It was um, a bit of a learning journey. Busman's holiday. Yeah, yeah. So we visited about five other uh, goat farms. Um, we had other um, meat goat farms to see how they did it. A pedigree goat farm. We went to see a guy, um, a farmer who'd specialised in Scottish, ca- um, New Zealand cashmere, because that's another product that that we're looking into uh, producing. Yeah. So um, that was on a much larger scale. So it was interesting to see to see that operation in place. Yeah, no, as vast as their countries are, they've just got the scale to invest up and like yeah it's just a different mindset yeah to see it so it must have been really interesting to sort of meet the people behind that hear what they've been up to and Mm -hmm. what sort of the three key top tips that they gave you coming back or what have you changed since coming back um well they've they've given us um lots of different ideas in terms of what we can apply to our farming um, looking at more sort of sustainable methods um, to use a lot we met a lot of um, farmers who were real entrepreneurs and really willing to give things a go so we've kind of that's motivated us to to you know think outside the box a bit more and yeah more environmental practices and we're a way to plant a lot more hedging around the farms okay um to increase the biodiversity so we've seen we've seen that a lot in new zealand Mm -hmm. so so that was one one of the many lessons that we learned Uh over there because i saw i read somewhere that you'd worked with the rspb yeah, and you've with your hedgerows, you've seen a lot more native species coming back into the yeah. area. Yeah, that's that was something that we really wanted to to do more with. And um, Neil works along RSPB on a project to increase the corn bunting, which is a, a native um, bird that's actually uh, died out due to over farming uh-huh. all along the coast of, of, of the UK. And we've now started to see lots more sightings because we've um, put more specialised feed down for them. We're planting, um, as you say, hedgerows. Uh-huh. So, yeah, we're, we're now seeing much more species. And even Neil's turned into a bit of a twitcher, which 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's great, but we're still, yeah. we're still pretty young for that, I would have thought. Just don't get the neck curtains up yet. You'll be fine. So in terms of like the lifestyle, like you've got the kids coming in now, so I, I, I'm the Joe Bloggs, know nothing. Yeah. So you've got the kids, what is the lifestyle and what is their journey that, that you're going to take them through now? So the, the kids, all of our um, kids are born and bred on our farm and um, at this time of year, so the mums, we've brought the mums inside so we can keep a special eye on them. They'll give birth and then they get transferred with the mums and the kids into these communal um, play pens so the kids can interact with each other. The mums are always around to give them an unlimited supply of milk. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll keep keep them in the shed here for a month or so, just really till the weather improves um, and there's more grass and forage for them to eat outside. Um, they'll be mo- moved outside um, and weaned at three months old. Okay. Um, and after that, um, we'll keep the kids. The males will be kept um, till about six to nine months old. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after then, they go off, off to slaughter for meat. Okay. And we keep the females who will then go on for breeding. Um, we keep them for a year. Um, and then we'll start breeding with them. So... That's so that's the cycle, yeah. And then we start that all again every February, kidding times February till typically April, and then uh, breeding time starts again in September. Okay. So we're just kidding once a year. It's it's better on for the welfare of the animals because that's paramount for us. Um, so so yeah, that's what we do. That's how the cycle goes. Okay. And so Billy, as a chef, you're seeing all these goats and you're coming up and you take your time out of your own diary to come and meet the producers. Yeah. What are you seeing around when you come up and you're inspecting and sort of looking to see what are you impressed by up here? I mean, firstly, you just see the love and the passion that Gillian's got for, for the animals and, and you know when they've had that care and love put into them that that's going to come through in the quality of the meat, yeah. um, which is obviously paramount for for what we want them to do with it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you, you get to see the conditions they're living in, like see how well they're kept. It's, it's really, really important for us. And it's a very chilled out environment for, for a nursery. <laughs> it's yeah. very relaxed here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and taking the, the meat that you would be using in the, in the kitchens, mm-hmm. what, have you been using some quite interesting, making up some interesting recipes? Or? We, we got some last year mm-hmm. to play around with. Mm-hmm. So we've got, we've got a few ideas for like for the future uh-huh. um yeah so i mean it's, it's a new product for me to uh-huh. use as well so it's, it's quite it's quite exciting to kind of think what we could do with it it's always trying to like thinking outside the box as well mm. everyone thinks of goat curry and that's mm. not what we want to do with it we want to try and make it a much more scottish dish mm. and trying to stay away from kind mm. of spices and things like that so it's exciting to play with it's mm. interesting when i hear like the goat the one key thing about the goat is you can use the whole Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, from all of, all of it, so the different cuts. Is there cuts that you think Juliana's expertise or the the sirloin of the of the goat, or that we should be? Well, I would say, I mean, t- traditionally the goat would be the whole carcass would be broken up into sections mm-hmm. um, with the bone in and eaten that way. And I think in this country we don't tend to eat the bone in as much as, as we should because you, mm-hmm. you know, the flavour that you get mm. from, from the bone being there in that cooking process, um, I think that's something that you know, p- 
people are really missing out on mm-hmm. um, and it's that's how we would we would cook it slow cook it mm-hmm. that way so. I mean it used to be a traditional dish in Scotland I mean I think where you um, got them staying I think Robert the Bruce had some sort of pledged to or to protect them them all isn't it funny you've brought them all back yeah it's a bit of a a bit of a random story because where they stay um in the sort of foothills of red castle at lunan bay that castle was owned by robert bruce at one time and um i looked up randomly and discovered that robert the bruce um passed a royal decree to protect all Scottish goats because they helped him evade capture from the English. He was hiding in a cave at Loch Lomond and uh, the English soldiers thought there's no way that uh, somebody could be in that cave when there's goats lying chilled outside, outside. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. Surely the goats would be frightened and run away. But um, he bid his time and the, they didn't check and when he, when he eventually got into power he, he passed this royal it's amazing. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great story. <laughs> but I mean, goats has gone out of our diet and it is now one of the healthiest meats that we can eat. So mm-hmm. it's a key to encourage people to get them to try it again and start bringing it back. I mean, it's interesting that you're going quite the high end and you're getting it into the really nice restaurants for yeah. people to try again. So we're needing to then for people to try and taste and then we need to try and work it back into the normal everyday kitchens. Yeah, well that's that's the approach we've taken because there's such a talent of chefs in Scotland who are utilising key Scottish ingredients mm-hmm. and we thought we we really want to work alongside them for them to showcase how, how you can eat them to the general public, come along, try the produce in their restaurants and mm-hmm. then hopefully try cooking it themselves. Yeah. What do you think? But Billy, how's, how's, how was it taken last year in your restaurant? We did, well, we just got in, I think it's half a carcass last year, yeah, so okay, it was really just for us to experiment okay. with. But um, I think it'll go down really, really well, and people kind of know the story behind it, where it comes from, and, you know... What's the taste like? It's... Uh, I don't want to say it's lamby. No. But it's got... It's, it's definitely got a much more developed mm. flavour. I mean, there's... It's hard to kind of taste like goat. Yeah, it does. It has its a unique flavour. Yeah, yeah. So trying to like compare it to it's, beef or lamb or venison, yeah. it's it's not got the same oily mouthfeel as some lambs have. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it, I feel like it's it's sort of it's got a beefy texture yeah, to it. Yeah. You know, when you first put it in your mouth, mm-hmm. and then there's sort of notes of maybe venison. Um, but yeah, it does. It's it's got its unique flavour, so it's, yeah. it's but there's less fat content. And yeah, yeah, it's very very lean, um, which I think is great because there's no health benefits and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. it's not overly fatty, so you're not feeling, you know, stuff. I yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 not going to like it's not overwhelming. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So it's, it's it's a great meat to work with. I'm looking forward to working more with it in the future. Uh-huh. We're talking about the. <laughs> The health benefits you've got the um, you've got the obviously for your environment it's doing a lot in oh, terms yeah. of clearing the environment and sort of re- regeneration and everything mm-hmm. for people it's interesting you bring back the cashmere story as well 
Yeah, that was a bit of an unexpected little sideline that came out of, uh-huh. of having the cashmeres. Originally, we, we um, sourced the, the cashmere goats um, to cross with the, the South African boar goats because the cashmere are more um, acclimatised to this country. Um, if you're up the west coast, you'll occasionally see the, old, the wild goat. That's uh-huh. a cashmere goat. Um, so the reason we brought them in the farm was to cross them with the South African boar goats. So we had um, uh, the offspring had still had a really good meat carcass but they were also more akin to this um, Scottish Fine. environment um, so on the on the sort of sideline um, we discovered that nobody in Scotland is producing Scottish cashmere all the Scottish cashmere that you see in the shops um, can be classified as Scottish because it's processed by a handful of the mills that still exist here okay. but it's actually all reared in China and Mongolia and Afghanistan yeah. so there was a project in the early 90s where the Scottish government did invest in um, some farmer help sheep farmers to convert into goats to produce Scottish cashmere but it sort of fizzled out after the funding dried up so we thought you know this is this is a great um, byproduct. Uh-huh. Um, so we've now started to brush, brush the, ca- the cashmere out of the the goats. This is the time they would naturally be casting anyway. Okay. So for us, it's part of the the welfare of the goats to to give them their post-pregnancy pamper session. <laughs> so <laughs> they get their hooves trimmed before they go back out. They get a nice brush. They get any sort of treatment that they need. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, um, we've teamed up with a processor up in Sky, okay. and she's planning to get the first balls of yarn down towards the end of the summer. So hopefully it won't be long before we have our own sort of cashmere products. And that'd be amazing, an amazing Scottish story as mm, well. Mm-hmm. On your sidelines, you've also got your asparagus. The seasons for asparagus, that's not until summertime though, is it? Here you're um, early May it early starts May. and it's a short season, so it's only six weeks. Uh-huh. So it's it's one of these times of year where it's exciting because it's such a short season, mm-hmm. but in getting everyone in, on board, it's our third year, okay. which will have our full season. Uh-huh. And um, if it was like last year, it's a very busy time, but it's, it's great. I mean, the motivation for us working all those long hours and coming in, harvesting the asparagus by hand and then bringing them in the shed to grade all night mostly uh-huh. is when we see all the Instagram posts from the chefs who are then showcasing the plates and we're just like this is brilliant uh-huh. um, we just couldn't go over like, how crazy everyone was going for asparagus really well it's quite year. a hard crop to grow so the conditions and the climate are you in quite a special area of yeah, getting well, the special heat wave that we all need to be moving here. <laughs> Don't tell everyone. <laughs> well, this part of um, well, especially the East Coast has is, is got the most day- hours of sunlight, uh-huh. um, so that does lend itself well for growing asparagus. But also, we're lucky because we've got um, really well draining soils in this area, um, which asparagus likes. Mm. And also, asparagus was um, traditionally a coastal plant, so being so close to the coast. Um, you've got the saltier air and the sandier soils as well, which the asparagus thrive in. Yeah. Um, we were really taking a risk by growing this type of crop because I think we're one of three growers in the whole of Scotland. Really? Yeah, so um, luckily, um, three years in, it is really 
take into our soils and climate. So we'll we'll find out next. Because you need the space for asparagus, because you have to have the distance between the the stalks and everything. And yeah, there's it's quite it's, high. It's intense. all about the root system. Yeah. So you're actually nurturing the root more than you are the plant above it, because. Mm -hmm. Um, it's all about how well this, the plant does over the summer when it's at the fern stage and it's sucking in all the sunlight, um, which then ultimately goes into the root system. Um, and it's, uh, it doesn't start to develop until May when the spears come out. You don't know how well it's doing. So, yeah, so yeah we, we kind of utilise old school t um, techniques. We've got a vintage Davy Brown tractor that Neil's dad's pride and joy. And we discovered that that works really well for um, at harvest time because it doesn't compact the soil and uh, affect the root system. Uh -huh. So we're still able to, to drive up and down the drills while we're harvesting, um, but we're not affecting the, the plant underneath. So. It gets me all the time that we keep thinking we're innovating and developing, but actually the old methods are actually usually the better methods. Yeah. There's a lot of thought process in it. Yeah, that's right. Okay. With asparagus as well, it's, you know, Again, when I was younger, no one used Scottish asparagus. They well, didn't really exist. Mm -hmm. You know, it was imported. So, again, having the opportunity to have a product like that uh -huh. in Scotland, pretty local to where we are, mm -hmm. yeah. is, is amazing. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. No, mm. we're very fortunate now, and I think especially as got passionate farmers like these guys yeah. who are making, taking the risks and mm -hmm. going out there and trying new things. It really does help mm -hmm. everybody. And likewise, we, we're always looking for the feedback from the chefs and if they say to us, oh, we're really, we love us if somebody would start growing this product in Scotland, we don't have it. And that's the reason we were trialling white asparagus this year, because we I was had, going to ask, are you going to do white ones? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're going to give it a go anyway. Uh -huh. It's a lot more laborious to right. harvest compared to the, the green. I mean, it's all still cut by hand, which is a big resource, but um, the white is even more tricky because you're because it's growing under the ground and there's not a machine that will harvest it. So um, we'll give it a go because we've had so many inquiries for it that, um, you know, if we can fit it into our schedule, we'll do it. So, yeah. And likewise with other products, we had a chef in Sky saying that he's desperate for someone to grow um, broccoli, I think it was, and I thought, surely that must easy, be that easy enough to, <laughs> to get. But um, so, yeah, we're cr quite... Uh, open to suggestions. Uh -huh. um, so. Gosh, I thought broccoli in this neck of the woods would be a standard. Yeah. Have you not got yeah. a local bro broccoli guy? We don't actually, no. no. Right, we'll all <laughs> go into <laughs> business, the yeah. three of us. Let's go do a broccoli field. <laughs> 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 Sweep up the market. <laughs> Absolutely. Is this, sure. is this your normal on Monday morning then, Billy? It's not, but do you know what? It's, it's something, that, it's great to go out and meet producers and actually yeah. see see the products if you like and how they're reared so this is this is a retreat i mean you're quite known for going out and foraging and sort of yeah. seeing your stuff whereas yeah we, we're not allowed to know your hidden spots but <laughs> what's the key things you're out there looking for um yeah i mean there's a few spots i go to so uh, i live about 30 minutes away from the restaurant now mm -hmm. um so i drive down through some really nice countryside to get to the cellar um so there's quite a few spots where i can pick a meadow sweet and wild garlic and wild leeks on the way into work, which uh -huh. is amazing. It's almost, you know, it's like a little shopping trip on a Wednesday morning <laughs> on your way in. And then, um, yeah, I mean, beside the restaurant, obviously, we're pretty much poised right on the edge of the water, so 
down in the mornings picking fresh seaweed for the week uh-huh. and then usually on the Thursday I'll try and go a bit along the coast okay. for all your kind of um, your sea greens uh-huh. they're not quite there yet they're all starting to come up but another month or so and uh-huh. we should get some nice some nice products but this collaboration I think with chefs and farmers is is the way forward it's mm-hmm. that knowledge and that the for, for the customers to know exactly where your meats come from and that story mm. yeah. behind it, I think, is key. Yeah. Are you adding that more onto the menus and things? Yeah, I mean, having a story behind each product for the yeah. guests is, is brilliant. Mm. You know, that interaction between the waiting staff and the customers and, mm. you know, sharing that kind of story enhances the guests' experience. Yeah. And it, for us, it's also amazing as well because we know exactly where all our produce is coming from. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's something that when I was when I first started cooking, you, you didn't really Never see that it. much. There no. Was not, no, but now, through social media and things mm. like that, you can share the story more. You, know, the, you can, there's the connection where you can go and meet new producers that you uh-huh. never knew existed just mm-hmm. through social uh-huh. media. So but that, heri- that heritage of the food is, is so important now. Let's shop locally, let's shop seasonally, mm-hmm. and let's, but let's understand what's on her doorstep. Mm-hmm. Is it something you're looking at doing later on, maybe doing a farm shop to have it open to people, or how can, how can the public get well, access? What we do is we were regular posters on social media, um, so people can follow our journey through uh-huh. through that. And it's, it's for us, we've actually found lots of customers that way and met lots of chefs that way. Um, so we we're, we're really active on social media. But eventually, um, in during asparagus season, we do have a pop up shop, okay. so people can come on site and speak to us and and to purchase the asparagus. Um, but yeah, for us, it's more about working with chefs and we actually do all the deliveries ourselves to the restaurant so we can find out what's going well what we need to improve on um, and also and guarantee the freshness as well yeah. so so for us it, it's at the moment it's, it's it's working really closely with chefs and yeah. and delivering to the wholesale market but also making ourselves accessible to to all consumers and and sharing their posts and let them see what goes on behind farm and mm. why you know, it's what, a dying trade, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, people forget. We want to be completely transparent on everything that we do, do and show what goes into producing these products and uh-huh. the time and effort, and 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 hopefully it gives people a better appreciation of what's involved. So. And have you seen uh, the growth of goat meat over the last while? Obviously, you're you're growing, but the interest and demand for that is that growing in Scotland for you? Yeah, we are see, we are seeing a, a growing trend for it, and surprisingly, it's been a lot of the chefs that specialise in modern Scottish cooking. It's not Mm. been the traditional Indian um, places that that most people would think goat meat sort of goes hand in hand with. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just something something new, a new protein that that chefs can experiment with. With all the care and attention you're giving it, I'm thinking it can't be a cheap meat. No, well, I mean, it, it can come when you compare it to lamb. It's 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 more expensive, right? But f- for us, it's the the amount of effort that goes in. Mm. Um, they're much more expensive to rear compared to other livestock. We have to provide all of our goats with shelters mm-hmm. um, and the fencing um, and just the, the labour that goes into it. So it's like. It's like everything, you know, quality in, quality out, yeah. and and for for us, we don't really want to take any shortcuts with yeah. with rearing our animals for that reason. 
since you've been doing this for four years, what was the uh, biggest lesson you learned, or maybe you should people shouldn't do with goats? Yeah. <laughs> Um, never turn your back on a goat. <laughs> never bend over in front of a goat. That sounds pretty bad, but <laughs> their nature is to climb. So okay. they'll, they'll want they'll to try and jump on your back, you know, um, and they'll give you a butt if they don't like it. So yeah, just <laughs> that's probably the key take home message. You're doing Scotland just now. What's your vision for the next few years? Well, for us, there, there is enough market in Scotland. Obviously, if we have inquiries from chefs from further afield, we'll always try to, to accommodate them. But there's so many great um, restaurants and talent out there, talented chefs, that we're, ha we're happy with the market as, you know, to, to keep supplying that, that market. It'd be great to see like, Scotland as uh, the home of gold and another sort of national dish comes mm -hmm. from the goat so that's over mm -hmm. to you Billy to yeah. get that start that in East Coast <laughs> and build yeah. it no, yeah. it is yeah I mean yeah I mean it is kind of a responsibility as well to help mm. push that forward and you know hopefully guests come in and enjoy the food we're cooking then they can help spread that as well mm -hmm. oh my god we went to the cellar with this amazing goat meat from mm -hmm. Loon Kinna Bay mm -hmm. so that's yeah that is our responsibility as well to do that mm -hmm. I think that's great I'm happy are you <laughs> Thank you very much, Gillian and Billy, for your time. No problem at all. Thank you. Thanks a million to Gillian and Billy for having us today. Be sure to drop us a review and subscribe wherever you listen if you're enjoying the podcast so far. Follow us on social media at Nibble Scotland for the first look at future guests and behind-the-scenes look at everything mentioned in each episode. Hope to see you soon. Bye for now.